We're going we're to continue in our series on ancient families, modern problems today. Let me start off with a question. What's your relationship status? You don't have to really answer me, but that's, what's your relationship status? It's a question that comes up in one way or another in a lot of our conversations. What's your relationship status? It doesn't have to be long before you're getting to know someone before you come to this question. Sometimes it's answered even without a word being said, right? Or it pops up online in your timeline, uh, and, uh, you know, it shows up, and, or it, uh, you know, it just comes up in conversation. I remember at Facebook, when it first came out, those of you that can remember this, uh, it's, Facebook's old. Did you know that? Do those of you that love Facebook, that it's not, it's not new anymore? Um, but when it first came out, like 11 years ago, one of the primary things they had on there was relationship status, and people would put it on there. It's still on there. But it's hidden, like it's not as upfront as it used to be, partly because they say it's so personal that people don't want to use it as much um, as they used to. But relationship status was up there. And I remember when I was on Facebook, and it was interesting because uh, I would get this notification in my timeline, so-and-so got married. And I didn't really realize how it all worked because I was like, that's weird because I thought I was at their wedding like five years ago. Um, and then it just occurred to me, okay, when they say they're married on Facebook, it sends out an announcement saying they, saying they got married. Um, but what is your relationship status? It's a fairly simple question. And for some people, it's easy to answer. Pretty easy, right? I'm married. I'm not married. I'm dating. Uh, and maybe it's fairly easy to answer. For others, it's maybe more complicated. I was married. I want to be married. I think I'm dating somebody. Uh, I'm just coming out of a relationship. I'm uh, not looking for a relationship. I'm just coming out of a, a relationship where I was hurt or somebody hurt me or I hurt them. And if you're looking for a relationship where you might get hurt and I might get hurt, then I'm busy, right? <laughs> There's so many different scenarios that some people, when they have to put relationship status, they just simply put, it's complicated. It's complicated. Relationship status. Our relationship status, specifically whether we're married to someone or not, has a big impact on us and on the people around us. It has a big impact on us and on the people around us. And if you've been around the last few weeks, we've been in the series, Ancient Families, Modern Problems, and we're talking about the relationships in our lives impact us. And the ones we have, they impact us. The people we're around, they shape us into who we are. And it's the same with this relationship of married or unmarried. It has a huge effect on us in at least these three areas. Whether you are married or unmarried, I think our relationship status shapes, uh, it shapes your identity, your community and your serenity. I needed another itty word. Um, serenity <laughs> fits. But your identity, it shapes who you are. Your relationship status shapes who you are. It's your community. It shapes who you hang around with, who's in your community. And it also shapes your serenity. And by that, I mean how you find fulfillment, how you find meaning. It shapes that as well. These three huge aspects 
of that. It's easy to see how identity is shaped, right? Identity is shaped, you know, just by, you know, like I said, you have this right here, right? You put a ring on it, right? All of a sudden, identity changes. I remember when I was, just before I got married, uh, someone who was married kind of took me aside and he said, once you get married and once you put that ring on, people are going to look at you differently, and that, that people are going to look at you differently, that they're going to see you differently. And I thought, I don't, I don't know that that's true. And he said, older people especially, that when you put that ring on, are going to look at you differently. I don't know if that actually happened. I'm not sure. I didn't really monitor it. But it did for him anyways. And he felt like people looked at him differently by having that ring on. Uh, our identity changes. It, it can affect who we are, who other people see us as. Your community is also affected. Your community is affected. Many times the person who is not married has very mixed emotions about one of their good friends getting married. On, that, on the one hand, they're happy, right? You found somebody you love. You found somebody that loves you. And what a great opportunity. What a great occasion. You guys are good together. You guys are good for each other. And, and they're, ha- they're trying to be happy for each other. On the other hand, they know what's going to happen. It won't happen on purpose. It might not happen right away, but it will happen. They know that once their friend gets married, that they are going to see less and less of their friends. Partly because they're losing something they had in common, which is their relationship status. And so their now married friend might start hanging around other married people uh, even, you know, it, it just, it's just something that often happens. So both of them won't want it to happen. They might say that it'll never happen, but it'll happen. And it happens because your relationship status affects your community. And it also affects your serenity, where you find your peace and fulfillment. This is the message of just about every romantic comedy movie you've ever watched, Right? I don't know what your favorite is, but just think of it, you know, right now, you know, what, what that is. Uh, and you can, I can tell, I don't know the movie you're thinking of, but I can tell you how it goes. You know, the first 50% of the movie, the first like, you know, half, just about one third to half is how they met. And, you know, they're coming from these different places and suddenly they meet and they bump into each other. And, oh, I didn't know you. Oh, I'm sorry. And, 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 and then they start to get to know each other and they think about each other and, and they come back together and they think, oh, let's try this. And then like halfway through the movie, there's some insurmountable difficulty that comes up. We can't stay together because you said this and I heard that or you've got this sickness and, or I've got this job and I've got to move and my family and your family and the next 40 to 45% of the movie is trying to figure that out and, and then they finally figure that out and then like with 5% of the movie left, they're just like, oh, this is great. We're going to be together. They kiss. There's something funny is said and then roll credits. I don't know what movie you were thinking of, but that's how it goes. And the message of that is, the message of that is that fulfillment, serenity, where you're going to find it is when you find that right person, when you find that soulmate, when you find that person who's been looking for you, when you find that message in a bottle, when you find that whatever it is, you know, you're going to find that person and they're going to find you. You find that notebook or whatever. I don't even know what those movies are about, but I'm just guessing that's how they go. Just guessing that's how they go. Um, so it's, 
uh, it's, it's often communicated that your serenity is going to be found in your relationship status. Your joy, your fulfillment is going to be found in your relationship status. So the question is, should it? Should my relationship status affect my identity, my community, and my serenity? It does, but should it? Should it have such a huge effect on my identity, my community, and my serenity? Should my relationship status have such a big effect on it? I'm going to argue for you that yes, it should. It should affect these things in a great and huge way, and I'll talk about why it should in just a few minutes, but just before I get there, let me talk about this question, and that is which one is better? Which relationship status is better? And for this, I'm talking specifically about married or unmarried. Married or single. Which one's better? Don't all shout out. (laughs) Which one's better? But here, I'm not going to take a poll, you know. Uh, But here's the thing. At various times, our culture and the church will elevate one over the other. At various times, our culture will say that being married is greater than being single. That being married is greater than being single. At some times, our, our culture will say that. So you got these romantic comedies, these movies, these books, whatever it is, and they'll, they'll come out, and the, and the message is that you got to find that right person because this is better. This is, this is the way to go. This is what you're looking for. And if you don't have this, you're missing something. But it's not just our modern culture that communicates this. Actually, what communicates it even more is ancient culture. Ancient culture, biblical culture, traditional culture communicates even stronger that you have to be married. You know, back in Jesus' days or in the Bible times, it was unusual to not be married. Strange, maybe. Even suspicious that people would look at you if you weren't married. Because being married wasn't just something you did and something you chose in your life. Being married was something you needed to sustain the community. It provided an heir, but it also provided support for the community that you... That you it provided support for your family. It provided support for you. And so it was something that was needed and something that was necessary. When that support system is removed, people realize there's going to be a problem. So you should get married and have a family because then there'll be no support system if you don't. In fact, Caesar Augustus would fine people if they were not, if they, if they became unmarried, they were widowed or divorced or whatever it was, and they didn't get married again, Caesar Augustus would fine them. And part of the reason being because there's no support system. And if you don't have a support system, that's going to fall on the kingdom, the government, whatever it is, right? And so we have these kind of discussions in our world today. You, you can go on Capitol Hill today, and part of the discussion is about the health care bill. Who's going to pay for it? Is it the government's responsibility? Is it the individual's responsibility? Is it a private insurance company's responsibility? In ancient days, it was the family's responsibility. And so it was necessary. It was necessary to have that kind of support system. So culture in the past has often said, look, married is better than single. But the church is, does it too, right? Church elevates it too. Sometimes this happens in ways we don't even realize it. That we would elevate being married over being single. We would say being married is better than being single. And sometimes those of us that are married may do this in our minds and in our words without even realizing it. 
Paige Benton Brown, um, a biblical scholar, she wrote an article uh, that's called Singled Out by God for Good. Singled Out by God for Good. And um, she lists some of the things that, she, that church people will say that kind of brings out this aspect of elevating married uh, over singleness. It says, uh, people say things uh, like this, once you're satisfied in God, he'll give you a spouse, right? Some of you may have said that. Stop being picky. As a single, you can devote yourself to God. The Lord is making you into someone wonderful before you marry someone wonderful, Maybe you've said these, maybe you've heard these, but all of them communicate this, that being single is less than being married, that being single is somehow less than being married. And so the, uh, being uh, the church, sometimes we elevate this. You, from the very beginning of the Bible, it starts out right in the beginning, Adam and Eve, because it is not good that man should be alone. So in the church at times, we'd elevate this and we'd say, look, married, being married is better than being single. Being married is, is better than being single. At other times, the church and the culture says being unmarried and being single is greater than being married. Being single is greater than being married. Now, you don't have to look far in the culture to see this is happening, right? I mean, you don't have to look far in the culture to realize that the culture is saying that oftentimes being unmarried is better than being single. In the culture, this is an easy one to see, especially lately if you just look around. The message is, if you get married, and by no means do you need to, it would say, get married later. Be your own person. Get your career established. Don't let marriage take you off course from where you want to go. You don't need someone to complete you. You don't need any help. That shows weakness. You can make it on your own. A marriage and a family will slow you down getting where you want to go. You don't need a spouse. You need a fight song. You need a take back your life song. You don't need anyone. One is a whole number. One is better than two because they have less baggage. And this is the message, right? This is the message that you often get from the culture around us. But it's not just the culture. Believe it or not, there are times in the church where the church will elevate and say being single is better than being married. Being single is better than being married. The church at times does this. In fact, the passage we're going to look at this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I don't even have to tell the single people in here what that passage is. Because every time someone preaches on singleness, they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, because it's, the, because it's the, one of the chapters in the Bible that speaks directly to this issue. And the unusual thing is that though a lot of the Bible obviously emphasizes marriage and the greatness of two people being together and two becoming one, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul seems to say, who's, who's not married, Paul seems to say, it's better to not be married. And you can devote, in fact, Paul says, look, when you're not married, you can, you can just be concerned about the things of the Lord. You can just be concerned about the things of the Lord. When you're married, you've got to be concerned about your spouse. And uh, so Paul seems to say it. So sometimes when we'll talk to singles, we'll elevate this and we'll say, look, you know, it's better to not be married. Aren't you lucky? It's better to not be married. And, and this is great. Um, and although Adam and Eve... We're the first couple and we're brought together. 
The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. And he wasn't married. And he was perfect. It was okay. And so you can look at Jesus and say, well, he was, you know, crucified at 33. People were married a lot earlier than 33 in his age. They weren't waiting to get their career established and then go find a spouse. You could say, well, he was Jesus. It would not have been a sin for him to get married. God created marriage. It would not have been a sin. But he was unmarried and perfect. And so we have the second Adam that wasn't married. And so at times the, the Bible and Christianity and the church can seem to elevate and say single is greater than being married. So which is better? Well, neither is better. Both are good. Uh, but neither is better and both are good. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And for we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm going to read for you a few verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, though this whole chapter, if you've never read it, uh, is an interesting one on this passage and one of the few passages in Scripture that talks so directly to this. I want to read the verses that talk kind of directly to this issue of being married or unmarried. And then, um, and in between those verses is a lot of teaching that Paul and the Bible gives on how to be live married or unmarried. But I want to read specifically some of these verses that talk about this uh, aspect of whether you should be married or not. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through uh, 9 say this. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul clearly says, look, I'd like for all of them to be as I am. I'd like for all of them to be as I am and to be there and and, and unmarried. And then he goes on in verse 26 of chapter 7, verses 26 through 28, and says this. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Let's just think upon that. (laughs) I love that Paul says, if you marry, you haven't sinned. So you can rest assured, those of you who are married, uh, just marrying was was not a sin. Um, But he recognizes there's there's a difference. There's something that is going to go on in that moment. There's a responsibility in that moment, right? Um, that happens, uh, and so he's recognizing that. In the final verse, I want to read chapter 7, verses 38 through 40, the end of this chapter. It says, So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I, too, have the Spirit of God. 
This is a real interesting statement that Paul, can you put that verse up one more second? This is a real interesting statement that Paul puts when he says, she is free to be married. Oh, cut off the bottom there. I did that last week too. She is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Um, Or that it's better, Paul says, I think she's even happier if she doesn't. This was a kind of... This was a revolutionary statement for him to make. Remember the culture I just said that he was living in. It was, it was revolutionary for Paul to be able to say, you don't have to remarry. That, because in that culture, it was like, where's your support system going to be? How are you going to take care of it? How is it going to be? And so Paul is saying, look, in the church, you can, you can give yourself to the Lord fully and you don't have to remarry. And this is a solid and biblical and godly alternative. And so he says that that is okay. In, in this passage, Paul is saying, look, both are good. And in here, Paul certainly advocates and says, look, it, it's better. There's advantages to being single. Now, you take that in the context of all of Scripture. Like I said, most all of Scripture is talking about, you know, how, how to be married and marriage. And this is why we often talk about, you know, this at Mount Hope, because the Bible teaches about it and we need to learn about it. And yet, but Paul also affirms this idea of being unmarried as a viable, biblical, Paul even says, a good and happy alternative. And it's it's interesting because oftentimes we will elevate one over the other. And I wonder if Paul would feel comfortable in some of our churches as a single man serving God fully for the Lord. And it's funny how each side, I think, sometimes sees the grass greener on the other side. And I think I talk sometimes, you know, I'll talk to both, and sometimes I'll talk to, I'll, I'll talk to married people, you know, and they'll tell me, oh, man, it's hard being married, and we're trying to figure it out, and we love each other, and we're still committed to each other, but there's difficulties, and there's challenges, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be married, and, I, and it takes my time, and it takes my attention, and it takes all, you know, I have to do this, and then I'll talk to, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes say, man, it was so much easier when I was single. It was so much easier then. And I, you know, I say, well, you're probably romanticizing that a little bit, probably forgetting. Because I'll talk to single people, and they'll be like, oh, man, married people got it so easy. You're not in the dating scene. You know, you kind of know where you are. You have someone, you always have someone to come home to. And the married person's like, yeah, I've always got someone to come home to. And... (laughs) And they're kind of like, it must be nice once in a while to come home to a quiet house. And, and the single person's like, I must, you know, it must be nice to come home and always have someone there. And it's like the grass is always greener and we're always going, oh, one is better than the other. But Paul in the scripture seems to say there is great advantages to both. In fact, what Paul says is that each one is a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 that I read says, I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That you can be single and that's a gift from God, and you can be married and that's a gift from God, but both of them are gifts, both of them are of God, both of them are God-honoring, both of them can be God-glorifying. And Paul affirms in Scripture, and God affirms both. So let me get back for a second to our original question. And the question is, should our relationship status affect 
our identity, our community, and our serenity? And my answer is yes, it absolutely should. Just not your relationship status to a spouse. Your relationship status should absolutely affect your identity, community, and serenity, but that relationship status is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Your relationship status to Jesus is what ultimately should affect your identity, your community, and your serenity, and not your relationship to a person in this world. And let's just talk about that for a moment. Your identity. Identity is to be found, as you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, your identity is first found, not that you are a married Christian, but that you are a Christian who is married. And not that you are a single Christian, but that you are a Christian who is single. That the first word is I'm a Christ follower. The first word is that I belong to Jesus. My first identity, my first relationship status is where I stand with Jesus Christ. And everything else comes after that. That that's the ultimate identity that I have. And that should affect who I am and how I relate to people. That should affect everything about me. Not the fact that I'm married or single, but ultimately that I am Christ. Jesus was once asked about marriage in heaven. He was once asked about, what will marriage be like in heaven? Who, he, was, he, was, he was trying to be tricked. The religious leaders were trying to trick him. You know, who, who's this person going to be married to? But Jesus gives some insight into what heaven's like. He says, in heaven, people won't be, given, won't be married and they won't be given in marriage. They will be like the angels. Now, I don't know a lot about the angels, but when you think about angels, I don't think of them being married. Like, I don't think of angels having spouses. I think of angels, they are literally messengers of God. They're servants of God. They are focused on God, not on each other necessarily. And so Jesus says, in the sense of marriage, you're going to be like the angels. You're going to be focused on God. And the only marriage in heaven is Christ's church being married to him. And so you may be married for, I don't care how many years on earth, you will be single for longer. Because you may be married here, but you are single for eternity. You're only married to Christ. And so, and, and so your identity is not to be found in a person that you have exchanged vows with and you are married to, though that's important. Your identity is first to be found in Christ, who you are committed to. And that defines who we are. First and foremost, my relationship status to Christ forms my identity. Secondly, my community in the body of Christ. My community should be ultimately determined by my relationship status to Jesus. This verse in First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, that says each has one gift. You know, one has this gift and one has the other gift. We sometimes think of that as, and especially sometimes this is, you know, I, I've heard single people tell me, I don't want, this is a gift that nobody wants. I don't want the gift of singleness. You know, I have, you know, I don't want that gift. But let me redefine, let me, let me just think about that a little differently for a second. When the Bible uses the word gift, and especially when Paul uses the word gift, it's used in a very specific way. Anytime Paul uses the word gift, it is always used in reference to something that is given for the benefit of others. The benefit of others. 
right? So we talk about the gift of prophecy or the gift of service or the gift of mercy or the gift of leadership or the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of interpretation, the gift of healing. Always gifts that are given to someone, not for them, but for others. And so when Paul talks about, so when he uses the word gift in this case, it's the same thing. It's not that you are given something that is, look, this is yours whether you want it or not. This is, you know, you got to take this gift. It's that you, wherever you are in that status, you have a gift that you are to give to others. And so if you are single, you have that status as a gift to give to others in the body of Christ. And if you are married, you have that as a gift to give to others in the body of Christ. And if you are single and then become married, now you have a married gift to give to others who are in the body of Christ. It's a gift that is given to others. And what that means and how that looks, you have to determine in your life. How, ha- how does the status that I have in my life in relation to being married or unmarried, how can that be a blessing to others? How can that be a gift to others? Because Paul says this is a gift. So if I'm a married person, how can my marriage be a blessing to the church? If I'm a single person, how can my singleness, the way I am right now, single in purpose, how can this be a blessing to the church? So married people and single people will both have to think about this. The gift is an objective status. It's just where you are in that moment. You have that gift to give to others at that moment. But here's the thing about community. And I, and I said earlier, I know it naturally happens. You know, you start being around married people, you start hanging around, you start gravitating towards. But let me tell you this, in the body of Christ, what unites us is far more important and far deeper than what often divides us. And I think we need to hear this when it comes to this issue of being married or being single. Because I feel like this is one of the things that can bring division in the body of Christ. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul will talk about communion in chapter 11, and he will bring some correction to the divisions that were caused between the rich and the poor when it came to communion. And he says, this isn't right. You're celebrating communion together, but you have these divisions among you. And I think about this issue, and I wonder, as we pass that plate from person to person and hand to hand, about these things that divide us that shouldn't. And I wonder how much something like being married or not being married comes between us and brings division. Not intentionally, not like in a, in a, in a mean kind of way, but I just wonder how much we are not one as we should be and we are divided sometimes over things that should not divide us. And I'm not, and you say, well, I don't have any problem with single people, or I don't have any problem with married people. I'm not talking about that way. I'm talking about more how many times have you gotten together with a single person if you're married, and how many times have you got together with a married person if you're single? And are there divisions that bring together? That can come out right. Let's keep that married couple when you're single or same sex. Don't get together with married people opposite sex when you're single. That, that could be, those can be issues. I, that, I was just listening to that in my head. Um, but the point is these things shouldn't divide us. They shouldn't be divisions in the body of Christ. And the reality is sometimes they are. Um, recent Barna study said that 23% of churchgoers are single. 
uh, 54% of the population 18 to 49 are single. 54% of 18 to 49-year-olds are single, and 23% of the church is single. And it also, this study also followed up and said that the vast majority of people in that age group who are single are interested in spiritual things. But they're not coming to church, the majority of them. And you'd have to dig deeper to understand why. But you at least have to wonder, is it a place where the church feels welcoming and a place where if you're not married, you can come in and feel that you can have your spiritual questions answered and addressed and uh, feel like you are a part of the family and not an outsider? Does the church affirm that, yes, this is a biblical aspect of life and you are not necessarily just waiting for what's better, but you are serving God and you have God's best right now. So I think we, we need to, our community is determined not by our marital status, but our relationship status to Christ. And finally, our serenity, where we find our fulfillment, uh, is not to be determined ultimately in our relationship status to another person. Either the relationship you're in, or maybe you're a single person and you think, man, if I find that person, then I'll be happy. I'm just, if I find that, once I find that person, I'll be fulfilled. Once I find that person, I'll, I'll have what I'm looking for. I'll have serenity. I'll have peace. I'll... It's not, it doesn't work that way. Your relationship status to Jesus is what provides that. Ask any married person. It's not. It's not going to, the person will not meet the needs that only God can meet in your life. And that's too much pressure to put on a person. That's way too much pressure to put on someone to say that you are going to provide the peace in my life that God Almighty alone can provide. No one can bear that burden. And so it's not a person, it's our relationship status to Jesus Christ that must be there. Paige Benton Brown, in the same article, she has this quote. She says, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me, that this is God's place, this is God's goodness. And for someone to say to someone who's single, oh, well, you know, you'll... you'll You'll just, just hang in there. You'll find that person is saying you don't have God's best for you right now. Now, look, someone is really looking for a spouse and they're coming to you for advice. You know, yeah, counsel them and encourage them. I'm not, you know, don't get crazy about this stuff. Like, like uh, we're always watching our words when someone actually comes to us. But don't neglect that right where the person has, that they, God is with them, guiding them, leading them, using them. So to be single is good. To be married is good. To be in Christ is best. Married, single, they're both good. Paul, Scripture, affirms both of them. But to be in Christ is best. And that is the relationship status that must determine where we are. Must determine our identity, our community, and our serenity. So the question is, is my identity in Christ? Married, single, no matter who you are. Is your identity ultimately in Christ? Is your community in the body of Christ? Is your serenity 
grounded in Christ. I think a great example, uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Marvin, when he was preaching, used Acts chapter 18 with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. And as we thought through Scripture, we were trying to think, who are the single people in Scripture? And, and you come across a few of them, and um, you, know, you find them uh, throughout the Bible. But one of the interesting, uh, I think, stories in Scripture is this of Apollos. And um, when it says in Acts chapter 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And I look at this, and I love this interaction, because I love Priscilla and Aquila. They're one, of my, they're one of my favorite couples in Scripture. I love the way that they open up their home, that they bring Paul along to work beside them. And I love this small snippet in Scripture, where they hear this fiery young preacher who's preaching, but he doesn't have everything he needs to know to preach. And they take a pause. It says they took him aside. And I don't know what that means, but I don't know. They took him into his house and they explained to him. This loving couple took their gift of married and being together and their gift of ministering together. And they together, Priscilla and Aquila, take Apollos and they teach him and they show him more. And then Apollos takes his gift of singleness and goes to Achaia and preaches powerfully and blesses the people there and brings people to Jesus. And I love in this short instance, we see the gift of marriage and the gift of this singleness and the opportunity that it gives working together to bless one another and to build up the body of Christ. And so it should be. And so it should be with us. The marital status ought not divide us. Because the blood of Christ unites us. And so we ought to love one another. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return. And as they're coming, let me just speak to, just quickly before we go to prayer. um, Let me just speak a little bit to just each group. To the married who are here. You're married and you're here. And so the single people can close their ears and block your ears for a little bit. You don't have to listen to this. You don't have to listen to this if you're here and you're single. But to the married, we have to, those of us who are married in God's church, sometimes be reminded that that single person is right in the midst of God's plan and God's hand right where they're at, experiencing God's best right now, not in a holding pattern, not a second-class Christian, not, not missing something, not incomplete, but has God and Christ all complete because, because Jesus was a single person walking on earth and he was perfect. And he was not incomplete because he was not married. And he had his father. And so that single person in church, they may want to get married. They may, they may be looking for a spouse. That's fine. 
but they are not incomplete without that person. They, are, they have God and his, as, their, as their Heavenly Father right where they're at. And so we need to remember that. We need to recognize that they need, a single person needs close and intimate friendship and they should find it in the church. Because just because you are unmarried does not mean you do not have the need for intimate relationship and close friendship, right? It doesn't mean we all have that within us. And though someone may come to church alone, they don't, it doesn't mean they want to be alone or be lonely, right? It just, just, just because someone is here does not mean... Just because someone is here alone does not mean they don't have a need. We all have a need for close, intimate connection and friendship. And there aren't always enough single people around to fulfill that, and it's not always the best fulfillment of it. Sometimes they need a marry because we are the body of Christ. And what unites us ought to unite us more than what divides us. And so someone comes and they need friendship. Because we all need friendship, not because they're single, because we all need it. And if you're married, often that need is met within your marriage. But if you're not, you still have the need for intimate relationship, deep relationship, deep friendship, beyond how's the weather, beyond how was your week, soul-penetrating conversation and questions. Whether you're married or single, we all need that. We need people in our lives who we can connect with on a deep level. And so you come to the church and you're married, don't ignore people in the church who have those needs and we ought to be that for one another. Our love for Christ unites us. Remember that many who are single and I'm thinking especially as single parents, are doing the same amount of work you're doing with two parents in the household. And the work isn't less. There's just less people to do it. And so there's different realities there. And our gift, maybe your gift of marriage can help and be a blessing to those who need it. It reminds me of when I was talking to a pastor who pastored a, just, a, just a little church in um, and he said, you know, I get frustrated when these big church pastors are like, well, what do you do all day? And he's like, I do the same thing you do all day, just with less help. I got to make deposits. I got to collect. I got to count offering. I got to, I got to visit people. I got to write a sermon. I got to do, I got to do all the same. I got to send out mailings. I do all of you do. I just have less help to do it. And that reminds me of the single parent. What do you do? I do the same thing you do. I just have less help. And so we ought to be a blessing to one another. We ought to care and love one another. We ought to be the church. And so those of us who are married, let us think about how much time we spend thinking about, praying for, being the church to those who are not. And to the single people, now all you married people can cover your ears. To the single people who are here, I would say be gracious to our ignorance. And sometimes what can come off as uncaring because we all see the world through our lens. And we all see it through the way we are. And so be gracious 
And don't be bothered at times. And don't take offense or take up an offense when maybe you hear one of the comments I've put um, in, I said earlier. Um, Believe the best about people at times. Don't let bitterness get a hold of your heart. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations at times. And I've heard it again and again. I can't go to that community group. It's all couples. And I hear couples in the community group, well, we'd love to have them. And they say, oh, I feel out of place. I feel, I feel it's not my place. But I want to be around married people. You know, I don't want to just be around singles. Sometimes we just, just got to put ourselves in some uncomfortable situations. Just say, you know what? We're the body of Christ. We're going to love one another. Give your gift, whatever it is, to the church. Don't hold back. Lead and love and live for Christ fully in the church and outside the church and seek out relationship. Seek out relationship. And you need, we all need, deep and personal connections. And just because it doesn't work out the first time you try and make a connection or the second time, continue to seek out those relationships in the body of Christ. Let's be the body of Christ to one another. Love one another did not mean married people love married people and single people love single people. It meant in the church that you are a Christian first. And let us be a church that loves one another. Let us be the church that will embrace and love each other, not because someone is like us, but because someone has been created by God and is loved by Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? We have a few minutes here, and uh, I'm going to ask our uh, elders and leaders to come forward for prayer. We, I left this till the end of the service today, and maybe you've got a need in your life that you would like someone to pray with you about, and they're going to be here to pray for you as we sing a couple songs of worship uh, in response to this message. And maybe you want to come and you want to pray with them and they'll pray with you about anything you have in your life that you want to pray with. Or maybe you want to come and just pray and kneel at this altar and maybe have someone come and pray with you. Perhaps it's something in your life that you just brought a burden in and you want to bring that to the Lord. Or perhaps it's in response to this message that you are a married person and you're in here and you say, you know what? I've had a little bit of a blindness to God's church and I want to be more faithful to be and love the church all around me and all people. Or maybe you're a single person. You say, you know, I've, I've had this thing in my life and it's hard coming to church sometimes and, and I need God to help me and I've had a bitterness maybe or I just haven't been able to find the relationship and connection that I'm looking for and, and I ask God to help me to help with that. I don't know what it is. I mean, a message like this hits different people at different places. But what I know is that the blood of Christ that unites us must be far more than those things that come up and separate us. Father, as we pray together and for one another today, would you lead us? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Lord, I'm thankful for Mount Hope. I'm thankful that as I look out in this congregation, there are different ethnicities, nationalities, races that are represented and worship the same God every week here together. I'm thankful that as I look out, there are married people and there are those who are single 
and there are those who used to be married, and there are those who are single parents, and there are those who are in different stations of life, and we worship together. And I'm grateful that we can worship together in these rows. But I pray that you would help us to love together around tables and in circles and not rows and across tables in a coffee shop and working together and helping one another and loving one another. Would you help us not only to worship together, but to love each other. Lord, we come to you. Do your work in Jesus' name. Amen.